0: feast. And after I read this passage, Pastor John will then come and preach to us from this portion of God's Word. Let us hear the Word of God. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. May the Lord add his blessing to his word and his people said,
1: Amen. I would like to apologize for the sound system we... That has been the bane of our existence for quite a few, quite some time now. We either have too much volume or not enough, or we get some kind of a feedback in our speakers that drives people crazy. So hopefully you'll be able to hear me tonight. Well, in our passage this evening, we'll be considering Christ's warning to the Jewish leaders. We'll also look at what Jesus is saying to his church today. In this parable, Jesus describes three main groups of people. Those who reject the gospel invitation, those who respond rightly to the gospel, and those who try to enter the kingdom on their own terms. This parable not only describes these different groups of people, but also speaks of temporal as well as eternal judgment. This will may be a matter of life or death for you and me. I hope to lay forth the importance of rightly responding to the gospel that God has given us, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will accompany and attend His word and make it a reality in every heart here today. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask now that you would meet with us And Father, that you would give us ears to hear. That you would give us minds to comprehend and understand. That you would give us hearts willing and able to obey. Would you attend the word with your Holy Spirit? Would you send forth this word in all your power and for your glory? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The context of this passage is Jesus is in his final week before his crucifixion. Some call it his passion week. And he's in a confrontation once again with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He is still preaching. He is still performing miracles and still teaching. And we'll see him continue to do that right up until his arrest and betrayal and even, even during arrest, in his arrest, he, he performs a healing. Jesus is in the temple, and he's currently in a confrontation. He's telling, if we go back uh, the several chapters before this, he's telling a string of kingdom parables. Now we have some of these parallel parables in Luke's gospel, but they're a little different. In the previous chapter in Matthew, in verse 43, we read these solemn words of Christ. He said, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing its fruits. Now, if that didn't grab their attention, what would? Of course, they don't believe, the Jewish leaders don't, don't believe at this point that Jesus is the Christ. They don't see him as their Messiah. They see him as a charlatan, as somebody that's trying to usurp power for himself, uh, somebody that they are afraid will invoke the Romans' wrath upon the, the Jewish nation. Unbeknownst to them, it's their very actions and how they treat Christ that will invoke the Romans' wrath upon them when God will send the Romans in to punish this nation in just a few years after Christ's ascension. So we have the three or four groups, if you want to talk, uh, count these groups of people, uh, of those who hear the gospel and respond to it. And the first group is those who reject the gospel outright. Those who reject it outright. We note that Jesus tells of a king who had issued an invitation for his son's wedding. We are not given the details of that initial invite. But we are told that a call was sent forth to those who had been invited. In verses 2 and 3, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. God himself issued a call to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and to their descendants. He had called Moses, and he had spoken to the children of Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai, and he had called them to himself to be his people. Out of all the nations of the earth, he chose the Israel, the nation of Israel. Later on, God spoke to his people through the prophets. Whenever they strayed, he would send prophets and calling the people to repent and calling them to come back to God. When his calls went unheeded, God issued even more calls, urging compliance and further promising them that the great rewards of obedience. We see all the promises in, in the Old Covenant. It, there was rewards for obedience, but there was also punishment for disobedience these were great warnings that had been given to the nation of Israel most of them were disregarded most of them were ignored you know when you read through the book of Judges you see that that awful it's like a roller coaster you have when Israel's listening and obeying God they're in a spiritual high And then when they're disobeying God, they're in a low. And it seems like every time the low gets lower and the highs get not quite so high. But the pattern is, they do what they want to do until they're being punished. It's almost, I know, as a a child, I can't speak for any of you, but as a child, most of the time when I got in trouble, I was sorry. Not for what I did, but for getting caught. And it seems that Israel had that problem. They're sorry, not truly sorry to God, but sorry that they were being punished. And God was faithful to His covenant promises, so whenever they cried out to Him, He rescued them. And we see this going on and on, up until the nation of Israel goes into captivity because of their wickedness. And then later on, the... the, the southern kingdom of Judah goes into captivity because of their wickedness. But even then, God brings forth a remnant and reestablishes them in in Jerusalem. And now we reach the days where Christ is here and there's no great change. As a matter of fact, it's gone. The pendulum has swung to the other side. It, It used to be lawless idolatry. And now it's it's a law of works it's a law of works and and they are so worried they were so worried that this actual group of people that we know now as the Pharisees uh, started becoming Bible scholars and scholars of the law and what they did was they wanted to know that law inside and out so that they could be sure and careful to obey it and it wasn't enough to just obey the law but they had to make it more and more and more. They had to add to the law and add to the law. And In doing this, they were adding to their own self-image. Look what I can do. Look how I obey God's law. And if it's not just enough to obey these, I'm going to add more so that I can obey more. Jesus many times is confronting these, these men, these leaders, telling them, No, you got it all wrong. You don't worship the law. You worship the God who gave you the law. The king here, when he is calling these people, he's describing to them what they're missing, what the delicacies are that he's providing them. Again, he said to other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The king describes this. Look, it's ready. Come. Let's celebrate together. Let's enjoy this. J.C. Ryle writes, There is in the gospel a complete provision for all the needs of the human soul there is a supply of everything that can be required to relieve spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. Pardon, peace with God, living hope in this world, glory in the world to come are set before us in rich abundance. Quote. Jesus said that He is the living bread. Whoever eats of His flesh and drinks of His blood shall not hunger, they shall not thirst. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ calls us to Him. We see that all the the abundance and the richness of God can only be had in Christ. Notice the two different reactions to the king's continued invitation. But they paid no attention and went off, One to his farm. another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So we have two reactions here to the gospel. The first one is indifference. Indifference. Oh, that that might be fine for you. That might work for you. It's okay that you believe that. I have no interest in it. They spurned the king's invitation which was highly disrespectful of the king and his son. And those who are indifferent to the gospel are doing just that. They are spurning the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. To some, the cares of this world are more important than the things of God. Now think about that and let that sink in. To some, the cares of this world are more important than the things of God. It has been rightly said by one Bible scholar no matter what this of no matter what of this world you find in your hands, you must not let it go to your heart, lest it come between you and Christ. It's one thing to ignore a wedding invitation from someone you hardly know. It's a little bit more serious if you ignore a wedding invitation from a family member, right? But to ignore the wedding invitation of the king, that is to spurn the king, that is to to despise the king and his son, and is so to prove yourself unworthy to be part of that kingdom. This is the reaction by the majority of the nation of Israel. They were very indifferent. They liked having Jesus around when he was providing them food and healing their sick. But they didn't need a Messiah. They didn't need to hear his his invitations. They didn't need to hear this gospel preaching. They just wanted him around for what he could do for them. You know, we can be guilty of that too, can't we? Want Christ around. Want Christ in our life for what he can do for us. And that should not be our main motivation. Yes, we praise God for what Christ did for us and does for us. But our main motivation should be for his glory and his exaltation. That's why he saved us. That's why He came to die for sinners. Not just so we can get a free pass and get out of hell card, but that we can be trophies of His grace, that we can make much of Christ, that we can magnify Christ in our lives. There are those today who call themselves Christians who fall into this group, the group of indifference. They spurn the things of God, corporate worship, prayer meetings, ministries of the church, just to name a few. Why is it, if we say we believe in God and we believe in the one true God, why is it, and we say we believe in prayer, why are our prayer meetings so much smaller than our corporate worship service? I I understand a lot of times it it can be work schedules and things like that and those are providential hindrances. But indifference, you've not been (laughs) provident... Indifference is not a providential hindrance. That's a sin. We must not be indifferent toward Christ and the things of God. The second reaction is one of open hostility. We've probably not, any of us, experienced that Maybe in our lifetime. Maybe you have. Somebody who's openly hostile to the gospel. Opposite those that just flat out ignore the king's repeated invitations are those who become annoyed and angry and violent. This annoyance turns to open hostility and the king's servants are abused and even killed. In this parable, Jesus does not ask the question, what will become of these wicked servants? He very plainly and blatantly spells that out for us. And he told the Jewish leaders, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. We see this as a prophetic utterance of Christ describing what would take place in AD 70 when Rome sacks Jerusalem and kills many, many of the nation of Israel. Josephus describes that destruction as looking like a boiling cauldron of fire coming from the Temple Mount. Just utter destruction. Destruction. The king who has to this point in this parable, the king has been very patient, has he not? He's been very long-suffering. He's been sent his servants out several times. He's, he's repeated his invitation over and over again. But now it's time for swift, decisive judgment on these wicked individuals. They had, by and large, ignored the gospel message and had abused those that God had sent to them, speaking of the Jews, and would continue to do so up until their destruction in AD 70. As we read in the book of Acts, where the Jews were persecuting the church. As a matter of fact, the one who wrote a vast majority of the New Testament was was one of those persecutors, was he not? Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul. And, in this point, in the context of this passage, they're just one short week away from killing another one of God's messengers, are they not? The very Son of God himself. They will, in a week's time, turn Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. Notice the king's explanation. He said, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. <coughs> now he's not just saying that they they weren't worthy, and so that's why they, they're not at the wedding feast. None of us are worthy. None of us are worthy. What he's saying is, They are not worthy because he has repeatedly called them to the feast. And they have repeatedly rejected him, rejected his overtures, and even done harm to his servants. Therefore, they are not worthy. There are those today who still respond with either indifference or open hostility. I remember one of the parks in Savannah, I think it was Lake Mare, this other fellow and myself, we were going around the lake handing out gospel tracts, trying to get into gospel encounters with people. And we got into, this one guy was fishing, and, and we got into a conversation with him, and he got pretty, he got pretty disturbed. He ended up packing all his fishing gear up and stomping off at a point there we thought he was going to get violent (laughs) people do not like the gospel they do not like the, the gospel message that they are wicked and they need a savior we don't like to think of ourselves as bad do we nobody likes to think of themselves as bad because we can always look around us and compare ourselves to someone else that's worse but the Bible says that we are all, we all fall short of the glory of God. We are all unrighteous. We all need a Savior. And we all must respond properly to the gospel. Those who are indifferent, those who are even hostile, if they remain in that state until their death, they will spend eternity in hell. They are storing up wrath for themselves, which will be poured out upon them on that great and terrible day of the Lord, unless God intervenes. Then we see those who rightly respond to the gospel. Starting in verse 9, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Here are people that are responding to the invitation, the gospel invitation. The king sends out his servants to get another envoy. Those people that he invited are not worthy. And that's speaking of the majority of of the Jewish nation. They were not worthy. And so now this is a picture of the gospel going forth to the Gentiles. Those who before were not called by his name. And out of these Gentiles and, and a few repentant Jews, the Christian church is formed. You see, the rejection of Jesus by the Jews did not stop God's plan of redemption. It did not thwart his, his plan. Because in His plan, He had a people that He has chosen from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation Jesus had promised that He would build His church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And one of my favorite verses in in the Gospel of John is that verse that tells of Gentiles being included. And that is in John chapter 10, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold... I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock one shepherd. That's you and me unless you're unless you're an ethnic Jew that's speaking of you and I. We were not of that the ethnic Israel's fold but we were called by our our shepherd and we are his sheep. Notice that the good and the bad it says now, now what does that mean? does... What is Jesus speaking of in the parable when he says the good and the bad? Well, I think this agrees with the parable of the wheat and the tares, of the five wise and five foolish maidens. The, The idea is that not all who are part of the visible church are really part of the true church. Church membership doesn't necessarily uh, equate to conversion. You may be a church member and not converted. We, we learned this morning in our church history of uh, Abraham Kuyper. And he was a pastor and was unconverted. And he was converted in the pulpit through the pious, pious activities of his church members. Just because you were baptized, that doesn't, doesn't guarantee you a spot in God's kingdom. Just because you prayed a prayer, that doesn't guarantee you a spot in God's kingdom. You must be born again. Jesus said, if you are not born again, you will not even see, you cannot even see the kingdom. And now we have uh, Jesus, you know, he's He's spoken some of the, the most loving words but he's also spoken some of the the scariest words in my opinion in all of scripture not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven he's talking about professing Christians he's talking about those who profess to know him and he says but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven that's the caveat there You may call him Lord, but if your life and obedience doesn't show that, then you may well be excluded from the kingdom. You see, the response to God's gospel is not just one of head knowledge, it must be experiential. You can know who Jesus is, you can uh, know that he died for sinners. But unless that becomes personal to you, unless you can grab Christ, grab a hold of Him with the hands of faith. Finally, Jesus tells us of those who try to enter the kingdom on their own terms. It's been, it's been well said that everybody wants to go to heaven. Just most people don't want God to be there when they get there in other words they have their own idea of heaven and it doesn't include God well I'll tell you where that's at that's hell because any anywhere that we are outside the favorable presence of God is hell he says but when the king came in to look at the guests he saw there a man who had no wedding garment and he said to him friend how did you get in here without a wedding garment And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We need to see this very carefully. This one man doesn't just say there's only going to be a few in there. He's representative of everyone who tries to get into the kingdom on their own terms. On their own righteousness. And now remember in the context, this is a warning to the Jewish leaders. Most of whom were very self-righteous. Most of whom didn't see their need uh, for Christ. Didn't see their need for salvation from their sins. And in their opinion, they didn't have any sins. I thank God that I'm not like this man. You remember that? The story that Jesus told about the two prayers? I tithe. I regularly worship. I do everything the law says. I'm not like this tax collector, this low-down thief. And the tax collector wouldn't even raise his eyes, but beat his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Who went away justified according to Jesus? That tax collector. Not that self-righteous Jewish leader. Pharisee. There will come a day when the king will inspect the guests. We see that in this parable. There will come a day when the king will see and inspect his guests. He will personally know each one of them. Now, we know that Jesus is God and and, and he's omniscient. So he does know everybody, right? Right? But there's a difference in in him knowing you and knowing you. Because what does he say to those that he casts out? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You must be known by the king. And so he inspects his guests. He greets each guest. He, He greets them. And he sees this one without the wedding garment. Now what is that? Isaiah tells us what that is. A person clothed in their own righteousness. And that's not the proper attire for this wedding feast. You must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's the only proper and acceptable wedding garment. If you're trying to get on your own merit, your own good works, if you think you're just the all-around good fella or gal, I, I've heard people say that. God, I think God will let me into heaven. I'm a pretty good person. I try to help people. I try to do this. I try to do that. And, and I'm thinking in my head, let me start counting the eyes in this description. You know, we can't look to ourselves. I can be the nicest person in the entire world and still keep the fires of hell lit for all eternity if I don't have Christ, if I don't have His righteousness. If you are wearing your own righteous robes, you will be found out. We get into heaven by faith alone, in Christ alone, on His merit and worth alone. Clothed in His righteousness. That is one time when your attire really counts. You know, we were talking before this service, you know, about, oh, somebody don't recognize you wearing that suit. (laughs) I said, well, this is my uniform. (laughs) But really, it doesn't matter if I have a tie on or a jacket on up here. I mean, it would matter if I'm wearing some shabby you know, shorts and a t shirt and flip flops or something, that would be kind of, I think, out of out of order, disrespectful to the, the the position. But if I'm preaching the gospel, it really doesn't matter what I'm wearing. Does it? Let me tell you something. This wedding feast is the one time where it absolutely does matter what your attire is. It better be the wedding garments given to you by Christ. And then we cut to the end here in verse 14. Jesus he's, makes this statement. There are many are called, but few are chosen. What's this talking about? Well, we, we call it the, the universal gospel call, right? We, we are to take the gospel to the ends of the earth we're to preach the gospel to every creature. That's the, that's the call of the gospel that goes forth when the gospel is preached. Many hear that call. But you must be moved by God to answer that call. And God will do that in the heart of every one of His elect. When you hear His gospel message, sooner or later, if you are His elect, in His providential timing, you will come to faith in Christ. He will give you that new heart of flesh after he takes out that heart of stone. He will write his laws upon your heart. He will be your God and you will be his people. We have looked at the kingdom parable told to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen that there are those who hear the gospel but ignore it. I pray that that's not you tonight. they are more concerned with temporary things of this world than they are with the eternal things of God Jesus posed the question what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul what what in this world can you take with you the answer is nothing you don't get to take any of this temporal stuff with you and why would you want to because if you belong to Christ, you will spend eternity with Him in a new heaven and a new earth, where everything is so much better than this. As a matter of fact, it's perfect. We've heard of those who are hear the gospel and violently rejected. I don't think we have anybody in here like that. I don't think you'd be here if that was your, your nature. And then we hear of those who hear the gospel but decide they want to enter the kingdom on their own terms. I pray that there's no one here like that. You must come to Christ on His terms. Jesus came to this world, born of a virgin, lived the perfect sinless life, the life that He requires that we live and yet the life that we do not live. He died on a bloody Roman cross for the sins of His people. He was buried and three days later rose in victory from the grave. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father and He's praying for His people. He's interceding on their behalf. And if that's you, He's praying for you. And if you have lost loved ones, don't give up hope. Because if they're one of God's elect, he's praying for them. And God will always answer Christ's prayers. And so we pray for them too. In hopes that God will move in their hearts. Do you see yourself a vile, wretched sinner? Can you look in the mirror of God's word? And see that you are clothed in filthy rags. That you are lost and undone and in desperate need of the Savior. Then call upon the name of the Lord. Cry out to God for mercy. Repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. The only one who can save you. to those of you who call yourself Christians do not try to enter the kingdom of God on your own terms I'm telling you and I've said it, I've said it many times in this sermon even it won't work I, I don't care what your opinion is I don't, I don't care what scheme you can come up with it won't work and I can say that on the authority of God's word it won't work. Stop trying to enter the kingdom on your own terms and come to the king on his. Stop relying on your baptism, your church membership, your tithing, your attendance, your good works, and anything else other than the, un- other than the unending, everlasting, finished work of Christ. throw yourself upon his mercy do not be indifferent to the gospel do not forsake the means of grace that Christ has given to his church dear ones it is in Christ's righteousness and his righteousness alone that will grant you access to God's kingdom you must have on that wedding garment else you will perish In the words of the hymn writer uh, Aaron R. Wolfe, Complete in thee, no work of mine May take, dear Lord, the place of thine Thy blood hath pardoned bought for me And I am now complete in thee Yea, justified, O blessed thought And sanctified, salvation wrought Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. You know, everyone, and I mean everyone, is commanded by God to repent and believe the gospel. How will you respond? Let's pray. Holy Father, this is an impossible task for us as sinners. We often are very indifferent to your gospel, your word. We are annoyed by it. We ignore it. And all this to our own hurt and our own harm. Would you change that in us now? Would you help us to love your laws? Would you help us to love your word? Love your people. And most of all, would you help us to magnify Christ and glorify you, for you are worthy. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. You'd stand with me now and let's sing hymn number 112, complete in thee.